IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizwood on Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben P. Travers on Twitter. And happy TCA Eve, if you care about the TCAs at all, which you probably don't. Most people do not, but we have to. So later, when you do care about the shows happening at the TCAs, that way we can be there for you. Yes, we're we're getting... TCAs, in case you don't know, is a television credit... Television Critics Association Press Tour, which is a twice-a-year event but in which uh, all the major networks come and present their their upcoming lineup of shows, and critics sit back and eat a lot of food and, you know, crap on them on Twitter. Yeah, that's essentially the whole show. Yeah, uh, and it lasts for two and a half weeks, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know it's, 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 there's a lot of really fun elements to it. You get to talk they bring in a lot of really interesting talent for you to talk with. Uh, you get, uh, you know, advanced looks at a lot of upcoming shows. It's great. Uh, it's also two and a half weeks in a hotel ballroom eating the same breakfast over and over again. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the breakfast does get pretty good. I mean, their eggs have been solid in years past, so I look forward yeah. to that. There's highlights. There's things that get you through the day. I mean, just keep me away from the Cokes this year, Liz. <laughs> Yes, Ben has a Coke problem, you guys. And we're not talking the Narcos kind. <laughs> yes, the, the cooler Coke problem, for sure. Yes, the kind. They, they don't leave. They, they leave the other Coke backstage. Uh, this is not going anywhere. They but, don't make this show. They don't make a TV show based around this Coke. Except <laughs> maybe kind of Mad Men. So, no. Kind of Mad Men, yeah. Uh, so anyways, the topic for today's podcast, though, has nothing to do with television. Technically, really, it's more about you know this other thing that we keep hearing about. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for here, Ben? Um, uh, movies. That's it. Movies. The shorter TV. That's what it's called, I think. The shorter TV. Yes, the thing where you you can review something after only watching like two hours of it, as right. opposed to twelve. I mean, in theory, but that leads us into the the broader discussion of what we wanted to dig into today, which is kind of how. These two different mediums, uh, which obviously have some similarities already, are starting to mirror themselves even further. Uh, and then to add on to that, kind of what the blockbuster mentality of the studio system can do uh, to, to improve itself based on what TV's been doing in recent years. Yeah, and this is, of course, inspired by this, this weekend's upcoming release of Mission Impossible. Uh, what, what, what's this one? It's not Ghost Protocol. What is this one called? No, this is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Is. Right. Oh. Well, I, I actually really legitimately forgot that. I couldn't remember remember to save my life. I just was like, oh, new Mission Impossible movie. Tom Cruise is on a plane. Yeah, I mean, they could they could have called it that. It would have been fine. You can go to the box office, say anything you want that sounds like Tom Cruise or Mission Impossible, and they're going to get you in the door. And frankly, nothing is going to be as memorable as or as memorable, not memorable, as Ghost Protocol. So, I mean, it's that's a great title. It really is. It it was used in so many different ways that I can't even count. Yeah. So, and the, the thing that's really interesting about looking at looking at Mission Impossible for, as an example as a franchise, as like sequential storytelling, like you know episodic narrative. Uh, that's I think kind of what spurred this on. 
uh, because you know we see so many you know the, now the, nowadays there's just a concept that you know all media has to be connected on some level all movies you know any movie within a franchise like say the Marvel franchise has to inter- be interwoven in some way with the other films within the franchise and Ben I know it drives you crazy oh my god it's it's literally my worst nightmare I've written probably at least two long think pieces at this point about my problem with dealing with this kind of over-interactivity, over-connectivity between films and even TV shows when Marvel Universe connects into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter stuff. I I mean, I think I've even talked about it on this podcast before. It it drives me up a wall. And for me, especially since most of my time is spent dealing with TV, which is basically an endless ongoing storyline, I really need movies to give me that compact dose of entertainment with a strong sense of finality. I don't want to watch something knowing that I'm going to have to keep watching it. I want to have my two hours of escape and be completely absorbed in that story and then be able to be done with it when it's over. Not necessarily that I'm not going to want to keep talking about it, because I'm definitely going to go see Mission Impossible 5 and talk about it on next week's podcast as well. But (laughs) I do want to be able to be done with that entry and not worry about what's coming next in the sense of like cliffhangers or uh, you know, characters who may or may not be dead, stuff like that. Just, just I'll wait for the next entry. I'll see what kind of you know mission they send Tom Cruise on this time. But that's as far as I want to think ahead for the sixth series, sixth entry in the series. I mean, there is certain level there are certain levels of interconnectivity between the Mission Impossible movies. If at, if at the very least, the fact that it's a recurring, somewhat somewhat recurring cast of characters. Yeah, and you can. I mean, that's that's kind of the basis for all film franchises and something that's been going on for a long period of time. You always bring back the stars because they're the most easily identifiable part for an audience to to adhere to when the when the sequel's coming out, no matter what they call it or no matter what the story is. If they know it's the same character, then they can hold on to that. And that, you know, is definitely something that you could develop from TV, considering the strong character base in television. Yeah, it's, I think the thing I, the thing is, I do like what Marvel is doing, and I think, and I, I hear what you're saying about wanting, like, a, wanting, wanting closure at the end of a story, and feeling frustrated when you don't get that. But at the same time, like, I, you know, I, I'm, I guess I come from the perspective that, you know, Story, you know, stories are never ending. Like, and you know, we're seeing that even today. Like, talking about you know all the revivals that are coming up in the next few, you know, next year or so with Twin Peaks and the X Files and so forth. Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right, and that's the way that it's being approached from what I see as a not a consumer-driven uh, level, but or not, and definitely not a creative level, but as a capitalist adventure. Like, it's just they're just trying to make money things because they can and because there's so many more outlets available to, to release them on and they're going to just keep that story going. Um, for me, I, I agree that there are definitely certain stories that can be stretched out. Um, if you're dealing with something like Mission Impossible, which feels very episodic in nature in the sense that if you missed Mission Impossible 4, you could still go see Mission Impossible 5 and you'll be okay. That works very well in the film world. It works uh, to some degree in the TV world as well. Um, but when you start forcing people to watch a bunch of different things to understand all of it or to fully appreciate it, 
there's a very fine line between feeling rewarded for doing that and feeling forced, like I mentioned before. Well, but at the same time, like, I guess, my, I guess, is, is it really just the fact that you want film to operate in this other fashion? Because, you know, you have, we have no problem sitting through, you know, 15 episodes of a television show because we know that we need to do that in order to understand episode 16. Well, yeah, a lot of it's based on expectations. A lot of it's based on the idea of I'm investing in a TV show and that's going to take up a lot more of my time than a film. Just, you know, these are, these are ideas that we've had built into us since we were kids, uh, long-running standards, and they're definitely shifting these days. And maybe approaching these Marvel movies, uh, which are the strongest examples of, of the film franchises that kind of adapted from television or adapted that kind of interconnected uh, storytelling, if, if I start thinking about them in that way, then I think it definitely helps. I never go into a Marvel movie now expecting to be just, you know, done with that character, done with that story, done with that franchise. When the movie ends, I know it's going to keep coming back, and I guess that kind of helps. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make up for it in my mind, but the expectations of it are certainly a, a huge pivotal part in when you're going in to watch something. For instance, when I went in to see... The last Hunger Games movie, which <laughs> my girlfriend just loves. I mean, it's one of her favorite franchises. And I think the, the first one was solid, the second one was good. You could definitely tell that the story was was moving forward and going somewhere. You knew it was a franchise and it was a series of books, so you had that expectation of you know investing maybe in three or four movies after you watched the first two. Um, but the last one that came out just felt like such a bait and switch because the whole movie to me felt like an advertisement for the next movie. It didn't feel like it had any substance. The plot didn't move forward that much. For all of the time wasted watching that two-hour event, I felt like it was just a way to dig into my pocket to make sure that I'd go see the next one instead of delivering me something that I could enjoy right now. And that's, I guess, my biggest hang-up with these kind of franchises and these kind of uh, film franchises in particular, is that they're not giving me enough to chew on in the moment. They're too distracted on building for the future. I mean, will you go see the next Hunger Games movie? Um, I'll see it because I'm a completist, but I'll probably watch it at home. I'll probably just and then wait for it to come out on Netflix. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna go let your girlfriend go see it by herself. No, actually, she prefers to watch them at home, especially after the last one. It was too crowded for her in the theater. wasn't a big fan of dealing with all the people and, and all that activity. So it worked out pretty well. Yeah, a movie premiere is, you know, pretty intense. Uh, you know, the first weekend of a movie is always pretty intense. Especially that big of a movie. But, I mean, it's an interesting point that you bring up that I think you're touching on the fact of will I go to the next one because I do end up seeing a lot of these Marvel movies because I want to be a, a part of the discussion. So you could argue that their, their planning, their scheme, is working perfectly. I mean, absolutely, from a financial standpoint, it is. But from a creative standpoint, I would never list any of these Marvel movies as being a best film of the year or a best film uh, of the last few years. Like anything, even from that blockbuster standpoint, which Liz and anybody else who knows me at all knows that I'm a huge fan of. I mean, if we weren't going to talk about this on this week's podcast, you better believe you'd still hear me talking about Tom Cruise and Mission Possible because I'm that excited for it. But uh, I, I just, I like what they do with those because they give you such an utter 
fits when you're in the movie. You don't have to wait for that to come later on. You get everything that you were promised in those two hours, and you feel great coming out of it. When I, I think one, one other interesting element I want to bring in when it comes to talking about, about film franchises as operating as as block you know operating in, within like a television model is the idea of bringing in new blood and new talent which is actually something now i think about it is kind of antithetical to the way television in general tends to operate like you know with television it's usually a bad sign when a creator leaves and a new creator comes on like that's usually you know when you lose your original showrunner it's a sign that the show's going off the rails on some level or another and you know there are countless examples of people you know of shows that you know just aren't considered as good once once that creator left leaves however with like mission impossible is such a great example because you know the first installment solid love that movie but you know brian de palma's do and brian de palma does great work second installment you bring in john woo which making for easily the worst of the films and then the franchise takes off in this whole other new way when jj abrams comes on board uh for mission impossible 3 and then jj abrams kind of oversees again coming from a tv background of jj abrams kind of oversee is now overseeing the franchise bring in new directors and so forth uh for the following films but there's still like a keen guy a keen guiding hand to what's happening yeah that's a it's a great point because uh i was very worried about christopher mccory the new director for the rogue nation coming on board especially after jj jj abrams and brad bird on the last two i mean those are just creative powerhouses that delivered some really impressive uh, films and Macquarie, while he's a fine director, has you know produced a few entertaining. I mean, he did Jack Reacher, which is kind of how he got this movie. Um, he did a movie called The Way of the Gun back in the day, which was pretty well done. Um, but he never really crossed over into kind of the, the stylistic uh, auteur territory of some of the other people who come on board these, this franchise. So I'm a little worried about him doing it. I'm still a little worried about him doing it. But if he can pull it off under the guidance of you know, people who came before, then it'll be an interesting kind of transition for this franchise in particular. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It's a good thing you mentioned Jack Reacher, because, of course, the thing I overlooked just then in talking about who's creatively overseeing this franchise is that the real creative force behind the franchise is Tom Cruise. Yeah. And, you know... I mean, yeah, Jack Reacher, you know, Tom Cruise has a way of finding someone he likes and deciding to work with them. And he's he's responsible for Tom, for J.J. Abrams now being, you know, having a massive film career. Because he, uh, this is a story I heard, Tom Cruise binge-watched the first season of Alias on DVD back in the, back like 10 years ago. And he was like, I want to date with Jennifer Garner and I want to meet this guy. So that's good. So that's something good that binge viewing did for humanity, Ben. J.J. Uh, Abrams. It probably wasn't great for Jennifer Garner for a couple of weeks there, at least. But yeah, great for J.J. and great for us. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring up that kind of auteur level of, of, of work, especially in something like this, especially in something like a franchise, because one of my favorite actors, directors, writers of all time is Sylvester Stallone, which I'm sure is making a lot of people laugh right now. But... What's interesting about Stallone, and his own brother has said this about him in, in one of the documentaries that they made around the time the Rocky Balboa came out, but if Stallone directs a movie, then it's almost guaranteed to be ten times better than a movie that he's either just producing, or is given a story credit on, or is you know, obviously acting in. 
because once he digs in as a director, he actually has a lot more passion for the project. The first Expendables is easily the best Expendables. It's arguably the only good Expendables. Uh, a lot of the Rocky movies, Rocky 2, 3, 4, and Balboa, I mean, 5 is completely forgettable, and the first one, you could argue, is definitely more of Stallone's movie than director John G. Alvinson. And, uh, I mean, when he does something like that, there is a style to it, there's a passion to it that reminds me of stuff when you are watching a television show and you're like, man, this is a great episode. I wonder if he wrote this episode. I wonder if he directed this episode. I wonder who was creatively behind this. And it's always somebody who was originally tied to the show. Like, there's always a kind of a talent behind the scenes that maybe you don't pick up on uh, if you're just casually binge viewing something. But if you dig in to see kind of how the sausage is made, you're rewarded and you're like, oh, okay, it was because of this person. They really care. They're really going to do it right. Yeah, I mean, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's actually a relatively new phenomenon that of caring that much about who writes or directs a specific episode. Um, it that you know, it is it is a fun game to play. Uh, I think what what, what I want to I want to use Rocky uh, for as an example here because I think one other issue you know I think something we're circling around is the idea of you know completion and having to watch everything and because t, you know TV. TV, TV, TV shows and also film franchises tend to be laid out pretty, you know, not directly narratively linear, but certainly you know episode one follows episode, episode one is followed by episode two is followed by episode three. Um, but from that perspective, I mean, with the Rocky franchise, do you think people will go see Creed this December? And I'm sure there will be millions of them seeing Creed this December. But you know, will they? Will there be people who go see it who don't aren't familiar with Rocky as a franchise? And do you think they'll find it as satisfying an experience as, say, yourself, who knows the franchise inside and out? Uh, that's an interesting example. Is and uh, first, I want to point out that Creed comes out on Thanksgiving, which is in November. I don't want anybody to be late. Make sure you go see this movie. It's got Stallone in it. It's got. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Coogler behind the camera, who did Fruitvale Station, so all of you wonderful IndieWire readers know him and would want to see his next piece of work. And that's why I would argue, yes, I think people will go see, it'll be a very small demographic of people who go see the movie that maybe haven't seen all of the Rocky films. I doubt there's anyone who would go see it who isn't at least familiar with it, because it is, after all, a boxing movie, and that's the boxing movie slash boxing franchise uh, to watch. But yeah, I, I, I think there will be little moments that are enjoyable for people who have truly invested in the whole franchise. I mean, just from watching the trailer, I could see a few moments like that. Just just from when uh, 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 Creed's son meets Rocky for the first time in Rocky's restaurant, which is Adrian's, which he named after his wife who died in Rocky Balboa. Like these kind of moments in advance are something that I'm happy to see continuing on. They're not just shifting into a whole new territory where, you know, Rocky Balboa didn't happen. We hopefully have shifted into a territory where Rocky V didn't happen because that movie was the worst. But, uh, to, to get back to your point, it's, it's not as important to me that those moments exist and that everyone appreciates them. It's that the whole movie works with or without them. Mm -hmm. I like that they're in there as a bonus, but I don't want to rely on them as much as I feel like the Marvel movies make you mm -hmm. to enjoy the movie throughout. I mean, I, I, there's there's so many cameos coming up in certain things, and I mean, even Marvel isn't the only one who does this. Warner Brothers with DC is taking this on in a huge way with Batman versus Superman, 
everyone's talking about all of a sudden is the Joker going to appear in this movie because of what was shown in the last trailer and we've already got Wonder Woman coming in so it's not even a movie built around these two characters who once sustained their own franchises it's about who's going to show up in addition to these people we just want more 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 which to me means less story and less of what I'm actually going to get involved with it is it is definitely there is definitely the potential for fan service to completely take over the good storytelling and you know that's always a danger with these sort especially with you know these sorts of movies but it's not and that's actually that's something you don't see a ton of in in TV you know TV tends to I mean I guess that's I mean I guess like you, you, you the best example would be like the overly overly happily happily resolved will they or won't they which I've seen a couple of times on the CW and I'm just like wow, you are ending your season with two characters in a convertible holding hands and driving off into a literal sunset. Um, <laughs> and nothing horrible is happening to them as a result of that. They're just, it's just happening. Uh, but I want to, something you just mentioned about Rocky Five makes me want, is actually really interesting to me because uh, I wrote a piece recently, uh, last week, in honor of the, an honor of the seventh anniversary of the release of the X-Files, I want to believe, which is still a movie I'm pretty mad at. And somebody asked me, uh, you know, kind of as a reaction to the piece, which is essentially 1400 words, me yelling about how bad it is. uh, Should they retcon it? And like, will, will they ignore that that movie ever happened? Will the events of that movie no longer matter, et cetera. And I don't know. I don't know if they will. I also don't know if I want them to like, I feel like, you know, this is a story I've invested my some time in, and I that's the last thing that happened in it, and it wasn't good. But I don't want to just ignore that it happened. And it, it sounds like it sounds like though that you, you might almost feel that way with Rocky Five. Oh yeah. Everyone I know um, who considers themselves a Stallone fan does not speak of Rocky Five. He goes straight from Ford to Balboa and, and ignore the five <laughs> I would argue that most people do that for Mission Impossible 2 as well, because, good lord, like you mentioned, just terrible. Um, That being said, what interests me about the X-Files in particular is that you're talking about now uh, a show that started as a TV series, uh, launched one feature film during the show that worked, that was, I thought was a great, great film. Yeah, and then nicely, it's it's something that was appreciated by people who weren't fans of the show, but wanted to see the movie dovetails nicely between two major plot points. Yeah, it works. Yeah, and then they, you know, then afterwards, you know, after the show had ended, they came out with another film, which obviously didn't work out at all for them financially or creatively, and now they're bringing it back as a limited-run TV series. So you're kind of seeing almost all the different interpretations of this TV-to-film to TV from TV franchise to film franchise back to TV uh, back to this new form of TV which is kind of a limited season limited you know event series however you want to label it which is and, kind of uh, which is yes, kind of covered it all then that's kind of, that format the limited series is kind of the weird Frankensteinish hybrid of everything we're talking about like because it does it, it should in theory have a pretty complete ending it should in theory but it will work as a sequential narrative and have episodic elements to it uh, you know it's going to be weird uh, and that was one that I talked about most recently with Wayward Pines because with Wayward Pines you were sold on the idea that 
these ten episodes would not necessarily end the story, considering ever since the aforementioned TCAs, uh, they'd argued that, yeah, sure, we'd do a season two if, you know, if it, everything fell into place, but, you know, we'll just see how this goes, and this one's, you know, kind of its own thing, but they marketed it as a series finale in the advertisements. Uh, a lot of people were expecting, you know, a stronger sense of closure for the show than what was given, and that became a big problem. So, they, they, it worked under the idea, which is kind of ironic, that they wanted, they wanted to make this limited thing so they could attract better talent. They could attract people from the film world like Matt Dillon and Melissa Leo and Toby Jones, like people who may not want to commit to returning to a TV series for five years in a row, but who would do a limited run because they've got the time and the inclination. So they worked on that level, but then it couldn't quite finish it off like a true detective would. Uh, I mean, not necessarily season two, but season one. Uh, so yeah, I, I'll I'll be interested to see kind of how the X Files handles that closure. How they like with this return, if they're going to aim it more towards hoping to relaunch a franchise or providing a final chapter. I mean, my guess would be just from everything I've heard that they 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 are totally okay with the idea of coming back and doing another round of six or whatever next year, like. I mean, next next year or whatever that would end would end up would end up airing, but yeah, it, it definitely seems like they're like, yeah, you know, we don't. It's not as big a commitment as it used to be. You know, now it's it's only like three months in Vancouver as opposed to you know an entire year, and it you know it, it, it you know because because as we but it it definitely speaks to the idea nowadays that stories never end. Yeah, and that, and to me that becomes. The- almost the problem. It's it's not that I don't want more X-Files. It's, it's not that I don't want to see more Mulder and Scully because who doesn't want to see that? But at some point, I want to be given an ending to the show and one of the things that works to the disadvantage now of a successful series is that people are arguing it never has to end and then that never gives anyone closure towards anything. I mean, imagine if Breaking Bad didn't end. Imagine if, if uh, you know, Cheers or Friends or you know any of these iconic shows. All of a sudden, that ending is erased, and they have to completely redo a new ending. I, I like the endings that I have; those things matter to me. And to all of a sudden be living in a world where those probably aren't going to happen, where maybe the X Files just goes until all of a sudden that third or fourth limited series just tanks in the ratings then we don't get an ending. Like, then we're stuck with I want to believe as our ending, and nobody wants that. Well, I will say that maybe one of the reasons why I was so mad at I want to believe is that while the season nine of The X-Files isn't the most outstanding one, it did have, like, a pretty sweet ending. Like, it was a ending I was comfortable with as a way of saying goodbye to the show. Like, it's like, because clearly that show, like, its, its course had run, it was time for it to go, and I liked the note it went out on. So, yeah, I want to believe Ben kind of was like, ha suck it. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious where you think, where, where, in all of this, where do you think, where, where do you fall on the Fast and the Furious franchise? Because I know you're a big fan of that. Well, what's interesting about the Fast and the Furious franchise is kind of that it's it doesn't follow traditional rules. I mean, that first movie wasn't supposed to spawn a franchise. It just kind of happened. And then the two immediate follow-ups to it were pretty widely panned, so no one really cared that much by the time the fourth came out, and Vin Diesel came back, and that revigorated everything. Um, 
now that they've completely committed to making you know 15 of these movies, because to me they have started to treat them more like a Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. more like the kind of episodic you know storytelling nature that you know I'm I'm keen to observe. They work. They're fine. The last one wasn't nearly as good as the ones before it. Uh, five and six were the pinnacle of the franchise, so you know they'll they'll need a little bit of that uh, Mission Impossible mojo to get back on their on the right track. But just in terms of how they're conducting their franchise, it's one that absolutely works for me. And and just like with Mission Impossible, a lot of the a lot of those films, as they conclude, would make for satisfying endings altogether. There's not I mean, they, they give you enough to chew on that for that specific film to enjoy it and be done with it, but they also provide closure for all of the story elements amping up to it. But it's also a franchise that we not only not only did it have to I guess technically retcon and or travel through time in order to make certain narrative elements work, but now it's you know, it's 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 outlived one of its major stars. Like, I mean, is there, I mean, and people talk about the ending of the last Fast and the Furious movie about, like, it being a really sweet goodbye for Paul Walker, but there's no one, no one seems to be questioning, like, should we even keep making these movies? Uh, I think that there was, there was obviously a question of that at some point that was probably as dismissed by the studio as quickly as it was considered just because of how much money this thing's making. There's simply no way to stop the train right now. Um, what will be interesting is to see how much of it drops off with him gone. Like you mentioned earlier, this was also a franchise that added a lot of characters who now seem pretty necessary to that world. A Fast and the Furious movie without The Rock doesn't seem as tempting anymore. A Fast and the Furious film uh, without maybe you know Kurt Russell or or you know Ludacris or you know like some of those other kind of tertiary characters. It, it may not be. It may not perform as well at the box office. It may not be as alluring to the audience that wants to see it. But we're going to find out with the next one, and I hope that they prepare accordingly. I hope that they keep making movies geared towards ending when they end, and not towards extending the life after that. Though, I mean, I guess I would say. I mean, we we got that Jason Statham tease after the sixth one, which definitely was meant to say, "Hey, this is what's coming next." But considering the event already happened. It, it arguably could have ended there too. Yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to say on this topic, or should, do we feel do we feel well chatted? I feel pretty well chatted. I mean, the purpose of this was to talk about Mission Impossible, and we didn't really dig into the importance of that franchise from a cultural standpoint. But I mean, we can we can do that later. I'll probably write something soon. I mean, consider this your tease for next week's episode. Oh God, Liz! Now you ruined it. <laughs> Twist. So, Ben, what's the best thing you saw last week? Uh, well, in my limited viewing, I, I'd say that the best thing I saw last week was Wayward Pines. Uh, not necessarily the series-slash-season finale, but uh, that kind of bonkers television worked for me for some unknown reason where other shows, like Liz has talked about, Under the Dome, uh, Extant, they don't work for me, but I don't know. Wayward Pines was pretty fun. They took themselves pretty seriously. I was excited for an ending before they ruined that. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those kind of 
goofy stories that you can really get into and hope that there's going to be some juicy twists and have some fun with it. A lot like a couple of Tom Cruise movies that you may have liked. I mean, Oblivion was pretty solid, not his best work, but you know, you could kind of see people who liked Wayward Pines liking Oblivion. Um, I don't think anyone likes Vanilla Sky, but that's also a pretty twisty, goofy, surreal story. I'd, I'd avoid that, but if you haven't seen Oblivion for some reason, I recommend you know popping it on HBO now. So yeah, it's, it's a pay, it, it, I would say Oblivion's at least got some interesting ideas in it. There's some well well, well executed stuff. Um, I think I caught I think I called one twist, but then they twisted on that twist, and I was impressed. Yeah, the it, it's not it's sadly not as like a not as cerebrally. Uh, it doesn't have the cerebral payoff, let's say, of some of his other films, especially the last twist that I think you're talking about. But uh, it is one that I've seen more than I thought I would have. After I left the theater, I was like, well, that was fine. And then I've kind of ended up watching it on TV from time to time and enjoying it. So anyway, Liz, uh, we're not here to talk about movies. I don't know why I keep talking about Tom Cruise, uh, the craziest man who still entertains me on the big screen. What was the best thing that you saw last week? Ah, uh, let's see. The best thing I saw last week, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ch- I'm gonna, I'm gonna wimp out a little bit. I'm gonna say I've been rewatching some old. Uh, I've been, re- been alternating between uh, old Thirty Rock episodes and old X Files episodes. And Thirty Rock, I, I hit season five then, and it's just like it's like it's like it's like a warm bath of television. I'm just like, oh, it's like, you know, I'm hanging out, relaxing with it uh, yesterday. And I was like, oh, man, you know what's coming up soon is is the Queen of Jordan episode. I'm so excited for that. Also, I'm caught up with Unreal, I think, through the episode that will air tonight, thanks to screeners. And God, Unreal is so good. Like, I, 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 think, I think they might have taken one character in a direction that is maybe too far, but you know, the season finale is next week and I just cannot wait. I will say this. I think, well, I'll probably, there's probably some flaws in this theory, but I think television is much better about tackling television, like discussing what's going on with it, analyzing it from, you know, a, a, a critical or, or a, you know, creative level than films are. Like, I think, I think they're much better at equipped, but much better equipped to do that. And Unreal is a great example of such. Yeah, I find we talk a lot about we talk a lot about TV shows about television, and I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's probably you know narcissistic navel gazing to some extent, but I mean it is such a. I think talking about the medium using the medium itself becomes like becomes becomes very fluid and natural. And this reminds me that I still oh my gosh I've had this for a year now I still need to watch the TV set which is this uh, great little yep. movie from like a couple from several years ago about the making of a TV show with a great cast and I I meant to watch it for a potential article and I just completely forgot but I maybe that maybe that's my next project maybe it's, maybe, maybe that's what I'm looking forward to next Ben that's, that's a, not- that would be a great pick it's a great film uh, and and a good exception to the rule that I just mentioned so yeah that'd yeah. be fun I mean it's not what I'm going to be watching next but what are you going to be watching next <laughs> Well, I mean, in all honesty, Liz, I'm going to be watching Mission Impossible 5 next. I, That's the thing you're looking forward to next. Yeah, I'm sure that that there will be screeners and other things that will be on my radar, but if, if you're talking about something I will actually invest my time in and just freaking be absorbed by completely and, and have a build-up night, 
it's Mission Impossible Five. Uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a couple TV shows coming out over the summer that that still haven't hit yet, like uh, NBC's The Carmichael Show, which I think comes out August fifth. <laughs> I saw screeners for that at the last TCA. Was it and, the NBC Press Day? Oh, was it? Was it? The, oh, it was yeah. the Summer Press Day. Yeah, you're right. Um, and it was uh, it was a show that I'm eager to hear people discuss. While I wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend it, um, it is eager to touch on some touchy issues. It, it, it goes after them. I don't know if it does it all that well, unlike, say, Tropic Thunder, which just eviscerates them in the best way possible, especially with Tom Cruise dancing. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'll check that show out when it comes back, especially just to kind of dig into the cultural conversation that may or may not take place once it's released. I mean, you certainly, when when you told me you liked it, and then I sat down to watch it, I was like, now I understand the slight tone, to, slight note of shame in Ben's voice when he said that. <laughs> but it was entertaining. Uh, yeah. it, it, it was certainly, it certainly was, it certainly was a, a, a notch above some other multi-camera sitcom fare I've seen recently. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it, I think it's much better for show, which I wasn't expecting, um... The uh, the Craig Robinson show, I think it's Mr. Robinson, right? Yeah. Yeah, that one that one didn't do anything for me, but uh, but the Carmichael show just might. But uh, more importantly, Liz, other than you know taking a trip down memory lane, watching all four Mission Impossibles before going to see the fifth one, you know me what, so well. Uh, what else are you looking forward to seeing next? Um, well, I'm essentially looking forward to conquering Screener Mountain. Screener Mountain is pretty large and. Uh, because everything's being everything's being released so that we're prepped for uh, TCAs, and there's a lot of stuff actually though on that list that I'm kind of interested in. Uh, like actually, two, Hulu has two shows coming up: Difficult People and Casual, and both of them look really interesting. Uh, Difficult People, I think, might have might be the immediately more obvious sell just because Julie Klausner and Billy Eichner are incredible. Ben, did I pick this last time? Ooh, don't test my memory like that, Liz. Oh, I, gosh. Anyways, if I, I apologize if I picked difficult people twice in a row, but it's, you know, it looks like it looks like my kind of show, which is, you know, funny people being funny together and in, 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 in perhaps an inappropriate fashion. Funny and funny and inappropriate. I don't know how you can do better than that. Can't. And that's also a lot like the Carmichael show. Indeed. Um, but the important thing is that the really, really important thing is that Ben is on Twitter at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And Liz is on Twitter at Lizlet with an I and an E. Yes, we did these things together. Not, not We didn't at all. We got our own. We got our tw- Twitter accounts quite separately. But gosh darn it, we tweet at each other sometimes, so that's, that, that still works. Yeah, totally worth following both just to see the discussions, usually based around the X-Files or really cute animal gifts sent to us by Shipra. I baited you with an Allison Pill reference this weekend, and you did not—you did not pick up on it. Oh man, I must have missed that. I was—I pro- was busy. I was—I was watching Tom Cruise films. Yeah, yeah, important work. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. As always, you can go to IndieWire.com to find us writing about television, uh, features, interviews, reviews—all the things you need to care about. None of the stuff you don't. There will be a dis- there's a distinct lack of I am Kate coverage on uh, on IndieWire.com and. I don't feel particularly bad about that. Not that not that I don't have mad respect for Caitlyn Jenner, but I we kind of took a pass on covering uh, another reality show. 
Well, I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a, I don't know how to say this formally, scripted reality show. No, it's not like Unreal where they're like, yeah, we wrote this. We're proud that we wrote this. It's, it's a real reality show. So we kind of, we don't really cover that sort of yeah. thing. I don't know why we're bringing that up, but you can find us writing about a whole bunch of other shows that do have scripts, which is nice. Scripts help make television shows go. Uh, so in the meantime, if you, after you do all that, the most important thing, you guys, is please, in the meantime, keep watching television. <laughs>